You're listening to the Quince podcast. सुप्रीम कोर्ट ने बड़ी टिप्पणी की है कोर्ट ने विवाद का रास्ता कोर्ट से बाहर निकालने का सुझाव दिया लेकिन ऑल इंडिया the three elements that brought about a new chapter in indian society and politics ayodhya a city in uttar pradesh has become synonymous with a land dispute case spanning over several decades you're listening to a special ayodhya explain a podcast on the quint and i'm your host shorbury the more we talk about the ayodhya dispute the longer the discussion stretches after all the dispute has been going on for 70 whole years and somewhere in the middle in 1992 the babri masjid was also demolished and there was definitely a watershed moment in india that changed its people their society and politics a supreme court verdict is also expected to give the conflict some closure and while we wait for that verdict in this special explainer podcast i'll break down this highly complicated history of the whole conflict was there a divine hand in the demolition of the babri masjid and the chaos that followed or was it plain political ambition and given how much there is to say about this topic i'll break down this podcast into two parts in the first part of this podcast which is what you're listening to i'll talk about the events that led to the demolition of the mosque in 1992 there'll be four chapters in the first part and fair warning it's going to be a long episode but i hope you stay tuned till the end because in the four chapters i'm going to talk about the origin of the dispute the breaking of the locks to babri masjid the shift in national politics in the late 80s and finally the demolition of the babri masjid in the second part i'll go into the depths of the title dispute over the ownership of the babri masjid complex which is what the supreme court is also expected to give a verdict on soon but before i go on let me tell you that if you like listening to the quint please subscribe to our playlists on apple google podcast GeoSav and Spotify and the several other popular podcast streaming platforms that we're on right now. For other podcasts, log on to the Quint website and check out our podcast section. Now there's no easy way to talk about this dispute, so I'll follow a straight chronological order and start with where and how it all began. Chapter 1 The Origin Story Ayodhya has a fair bit of history and myth to its name. Go as far back as the Maurya dynasty and you'll find that a lot of kingdoms have since touched on upon Ayodhya as did Babur the founder of the Mughal dynasty in India. Sometime in the 16th century Babur commissioned his commander Mir Baki to construct a mosque in Ayodhya which is known as the Babri Masjid now. Ayodhya also has another special significance because it's the mythical birthplace of Lord Ram. And some Hindus have come to believe that the Babri Masjid stands on a temple that was built to mark the birth of Lord Ram. And it was this very belief that led to an event that took place on 6 December 1992. 
that changed India forever. That was the year when the 16th century Babri Masjid was demolished in Ayodhya by a large group of Hindu activists. But the communal rights that came after followed well into 1993 and the latter years. There were bombings and killings from both Indian Mujahideen and Hindu right-wing groups. And in the end, according to official figures, around 2,000 people had died in several Indian cities. All that was certainly the peak of the dispute, one that triggered killings and riots across India, but it's hardly the beginning of it. Trouble had started brewing a century back in 1885 when a group of Hindu ascetics, the Nirmohi Akhara, claimed ownership of the Babri complex and demanded to build a Ram temple. This subsect of Hinduism are Ram worshippers, and Raghubar Das, who was the chief priest of the sect, filed a civil suit against the administration of Faizabad district, which is what Ayodhya falls under. He didn't want the administration to interfere in the construction of the temple. Was he successful? Well, obviously not. The Hindu sub-judge dismissed the suit and the Ram worshippers had to return home with a denial. But it was hardly alarming at that point because the Hindus and Muslims of Faizabad and Ayodhya had been coexisting for long despite this past struggle, but nothing had ever led to a communal tension before. So it was dismissed as a local issue. But the demand came back before a Fezabad court again in 1949. And now the court was worried that the matter could potentially trigger communal violence. So it handed over the responsibility of the site over to the state government. That year, something else was being planned on the site. The Republic of India was only two years old and was home to a population that was still reeling from the hangover of partition sentiments. And then, on December 22, 1949, with a flash of lightning at around 3 a.m., Sriram appeared inside the Babri Masjid. That's not a fact, but a rumour that spread like wildfire. NFI was lodged the next day naming three specific individuals, Abhiram Das, Ram Sakal Das, Sudarshan Das and 50 to 60 others who were charged with rioting, trespassing and defiling a place of worship. The group was accused of opening the locks of the compound and placing an idol of Ram. Did the administration fear that it would flare up to become a full-fledged communal tension? Nehru got positively worried and ordered the then Chief Minister of Uttar Pradesh, Gobind Ballab Pant, to remove the statue. But the then District Magistrate, K.K. Nair, said that it could trigger further tensions and refused to follow the orders. One other thing about Nair was that he was known to be sympathetic to the Hindu Mahasabha, the oldest Hindu nationalist political group. Interestingly, on the day the idol was placed inside the mosque, Nair had taken an official leave but remained in Faisabad. He had also informed his seniors about the whole incident five hours too late despite arriving at the scene early enough. But Nair wasn't the only one in the administration inclined on a Ram temple. Others in charge of the admin felt similarly. Others like Gurudat Singh, for instance, who was the then city magistrate. During the shooting of a documentary on the Babri demolition a couple of years ago, the Quinn's former political editor Aviral Virk had gotten in touch with Guru Basan Singh, who's the son of Gurudat Singh. 
He was only 15 in 1949 and he recounted secret meetings in his house amongst his father, the district magistrate K.K. Nair, the superintendent of police Kripal Singh and Judge Thakur Bir Singh. But where did the whole matter stand after Ram's miraculous appearance inside the mosque? Legally, the status quo had to be maintained. The mosque would be right where it was, the idol too would remain exactly where it was placed and would also get a priest for daily puja. Nobody else would be allowed in, no devotees, no namaz and that be that. Chapter 2. The Breaking of the Locks Since 1949, Babri Masjid became a subject of long-drawn litigations. And for those who haven't followed the conflict closely, let me tell you that two different cases came out of it, the Babri demolition case and the title dispute case over the ownership of the land. In the latter, there are at least three parties who lay claim to the disputed site, a mixture of the divine, religious organisations and a lot of bystanders. And let me tell you about how each party came to be involved in this case. In 1959, the Nirmohi Akhara came back with a litigation. A member of the sect filed a petition saying that they have Shebeti rights over the land or rights as worshippers of Ram. In 1961, the Sunni Waqaf board also got involved who wanted rights to the mosque. And finally, in 1989, Ram Lalla or Infant Ram, who's a deity himself, became a part of it. The divine entered the scene when former Allahabad High Court judge Diyoki Nandan Agarwal moved the High Court on behalf of Lord Ram. Mix all these ingredients and you have one of the longest-running legal disputes in India, with one side wanting the land for a temple and the other for a mosque. But let's cut straight to the 1980s when the demand for Ram Temple came out in public speeches beyond the litigations. And the lead-up to it was a mass conversion of 200 Dalit families to Islam in Minakshipuram, a nondescript village in Tamil Nadu. The year was 1981 and the small community of Dalits were tired of facing continuous discrimination at the hands of the upper-class Thevar and decided to convert to Islam. Rupees 40,000 was collected for the mass conversion ceremony which turned into a rallying point for Hindu nationalist organisations. Why? They wanted to revive the essence of Hinduism. They wanted to revive what it felt to be a Hindu. So what did they do? April 1984, VHP's Ashok Singhal organises a Dharam Sansad or a religious parliament at Delhi's Vigyan Bhavan. Hindu Kedar Chari Dushman is Shatru. 
उसका नाम सेकुलर है not only temple construction actually it is a life principle the values of life the human human values that are trying to assert in this world today it was here that the demand for ram temple formally became an issue for the first time but despite this and the several litigations that were pending in the courts from 1951 to 1986 ayodhya actually remained quite at peace Some Hindu groups would gather in front of the Babri complex and hold kirtans for Ram Janmabhoomi but that didn't trigger any violence whatever happened the status quo was maintained but it took another litigation to change the status quo and open the locks to the mosque 1986 Gopal Singh Visharad demands the locks to be opened and Hindus to be allowed to worship inside the complex Faizabad district judge KM Pandey allows it and what prompts him to do so a divine inspiration apparently after his retirement came pandey published his memoirs and there he recounted the circumstances that took place before he gave the order on the date of the order when the orders for opening locks was passed a black monkey was sitting for the whole day on the roof of the courtroom in which the hearing was going on The monkey was holding the flag post. Later, the same monkey was present in the veranda of my bungalow. I just saluted him, treating him like some divine power. When I left the district court after ordering the opening of the locks to facilitate darshan of the Ram Lalla idol which had been placed there in 1949, I saw a monkey, a divine monkey perched on the roof of the courthouse. And when I reached home at 4 p.m., I found the monkey was still there outside. I saluted him. It was divine inspiration. And so the locks were opened and this decision was also endorsed by the then Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi. Chapter 3 Appending National Politics. Anybody have guessed what was to happen in 1992 and the following years in terms of communal relations and national politics? Perhaps there were small hints. Well, for one, the people weren't so starstruck over Rajiv Gandhi anymore, with the Beaufort scandal blowing up and with his government enacting a whole law after the Shah Bano verdict. Gandhi had bowed down to the pressure from the Muslim clergy and passed the Muslim Women Protection of Rights on Divorce Act 1986 which aimed to undermine the Supreme Court ruling that would give triple talaq victims like Shah Bano the right to alimony and this was a great entry point for the BJP and other Hindu organizations who mounted their offensive against what they called Rajiv Gandhi's appeasement politics on the other side VHP was actively organizing religious parliaments to spread awareness about the Hindu scriptures and Ram Janmabhoomi They also collected rupees 8.29 crores from within and outside India for the foundation ceremony for where Ram Temple would eventually be built. Rajiv Gandhi had to set his record straight and win the trust of the Hindu community back. 
So, he deputed the then Union Home Minister Bhuta Singh to travel to Ayodhya and meet the VHP. And the government decided to allow the VHP to perform the foundation ceremony or the Shilanya, provided that they would maintain peace and abide by the orders. Interestingly, Mahant Laldas, who was the court-appointed priest for the temple, was dead against the Shilanyas. He would also later go on to speak on record against the demolition. But if in 1984 the BJP managed two seats, in 1989 they got 85 seats. Yes, that's how much their popularity soared. And riding on that popularity came a Ratyatra. On September 25, 1990, the then BJP President L.K. Advani kicked off a Rath Yatra from Somnath Temple in Gujarat. The end destination of the Yatra was Ram Janmabhoomi or Ayodhya. The Yatra was a very well-organized show. The Bajrang Dal even got tridents to match the theme. And Narendra Modi, who was only a young leader then, was going to look after the Yatra's smooth operations in Gujarat. And Advani gave speeches as the Yatra proceeded. There were hurdles for Advani, of course, in Lalu Yadav's territory in Bihar. Lalu Yadav was then the chief minister of the state. And there, Advani was arrested for a brief period. There were also hurdles for the BHP and the Bajrang Dal activists in Mulayam Singh's domain in UP. Right-wing activists were steadily flowing into UP even without Advani. And tear gas shells and actual bullets were fired to hold them back. And even then, the car Sevaks managed to climb the doom of Babri Masjid and unfurl a saffron flag. Of course, all that cost a few car savers their lives, but also gave the BJP 119 seats in the 1991 General Assembly elections. But most importantly, that year the BJP assumed power in Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Himachal Pradesh, Maharashtra and Uttar Pradesh. Chapter 4 the demolition of Babri Masjid. Did the demolition of Babri Masjid take all of one day? In the June of 1991, Kalyan Singh became the first BJP member to become the Chief Minister of Uttar Pradesh. And what he did was acquire 2.77 acres of land around the Babri Masjid complex under a government notification for the purpose of promoting tourism. But the tourism looked something like this. The Sangh Parivar dug around the Babri Masjid area and filled it with concrete. Kalyan Singh justified that it would be a platform for bhajans. The land was also handed over to the Ram Janmabhoomi Nyas on lease for Rupee 1 for the construction of a temple. 
And what did the Ram Janmabhoomi Nyas want to do? Nothing drastic, just observe Chaturmas, which are the four holy months of the Hindus. And with that pretext, many sadhus, devotees, car sevaks poured in. A platform was raised for that purpose despite a high court ban. The security agencies were unable to evict the car sevaks because of the strict instructions from the Kalyan Singh government against the use of force. If anybody could stop it, it would have to be the then Prime Minister Narsimha Rao. On July 23, 1992, Narsimha Rao met up with religious leaders in Delhi and got them to stop the construction for three months. In this small period, Narsimha Rao had promised to find a solution. But those three months passed away without any solution and by late October, the car seva was resumed. By December 6, 1992, at least 2 lakh car sevaks had arrived in Ayodhya to celebrate Chaturmas. But how did that lead to the chaos of 6 December? Quint Hindi's executive editor Neeraj Gupta spoke to Praveen Jain, the associate editor of the Indian Express. He was in Ayudhya around that time working for the Pioneer. He's also one of the key eyewitnesses in the Babri Masjid demolition. Jain had to disguise himself as a member of the VHP to gain access to certain areas where members had gathered and this is what he saw. Night in the hotel, I a member of parliament Vishu Hindu Parishad. और काफी इंपॉर्टेंट आदमी थे मेंबर ऑफ पार्लियामेंट उन्होंने मेरे को हिंट दिया कि 5 तारीख को वो रिहर्सल करेंगे और रिहर्सल मैं शूट कर सकता हूं मैंने उनसे पूछा तो उन्होंने बोला कि हां लेकिन आपको विश्व हिंदू परिषद का आदमी बनके जाना पड़ेगा और मैं शूट करा दूंगा तुमको 5 तारीख को मैं मॉर्निंग में गया अपना भगवा कपड़े वगैरह कपड़े नहीं मतलब दुपट्टा और उसने मेरे को एक आई कार्ड दे दिया था वहां देखा तो मैंने पूरा का पूरा ग्राउंड जो था वहां पर रिहर्सल हो रही थी लोग फावड़े हथौड़े बड़े-बड़े जो प्रोफेशनल तरीके के थे वो लेके आ रहे थे और डेमोस्ट्रेशन कर रहे थे सामने एक बड़ा सा टीला था टीले के ऊपर वो प्रैक्टिस कर रहे थे एक लोहे का एक ग्रिल या ऐसा कुछ था उनके पास जो कि टीले के ऊपर चारों तरफ लगाया हुआ था और उसके ऊपर चढ़ने की कोशिश कर रहे थे तो वहां से मेरा शॉट दिखाने का मतलब था ऊपर से कि कैसे उन्होंने ग्रिप बनाया है सेम मेथड यूज किया उन्होंने बावरी मस्जिद के अंदर डेमोलिशन में और इंटरेस्टिंग बात यह है उसके अंदर कि बाकी लोग तो बगैर मास्क के थे वो मेरे को लगा लेबर टाइप है एक आदमी ने नकाब पहना हुआ था वो जो कि आइडेंटिटी अपनी सरेआम नहीं होने देना चाह रहा था और वो ही मास्टरमाइंड था वो ही इंस्ट्रक्शन दे रहा था कि मॉस्क के ऊपर कैसे चढ़ा जाएगा और कैसे तोड़ा जाएगा अकॉर्डिंग टू द जज कि आई एम द की विटनेस जिसने रिहर्सल देखी है जिससे साबित होता है कि ये साजिश थी प्री प्लान था Senior BJP leaders like L.K. Advani and Murli Manohar Joshi, who had concluded the Rathyatras after travelling with the UP, also arrived at the platform raised for the Chaturmas to mobilise support for the car seva. They wanted to review the arrangements there and the crowd was starting to get more and more restless. And eventually they broke into a chant.
And then the car sevaks entered the Babri complex and hammered away at the concrete until the doom finally collapsed. But the conflict didn't end with the demolition. That day was more chaotic than just a doom falling. You surely do remember the Mumbai riots that followed that caused deaths of hundreds and hundreds of people. Then came the Mumbai bombings with 12 bombs exploding in several parts of the city. And this only added more and more numbers to the death toll that came in the aftermath of the Babri demolition. But these are only the big events. There were many other successive riots in several parts of India. And somebody had to be held accountable. And so the Labour Hand Commission constituted by the centre was to submit its report within three months. But the one-man commission was able to submit this report only 17 years later to Prime Minister Manmohan Singh on June 30, 2009. The report held 68 people culpable including L.K. Advani, Murli Manohar Joshi, Atal Bihari Vajpayee and the then UP Chief Minister Kalyan Singh. It wouldn't be an easy task to settle a dispute of this magnitude and both the title dispute case and the demolition case continued well into the next decade. Join me again in the second part of this Ayodhya Explainer podcast where I'll talk about the litigations over the ownership of land. We also have a documentary on Ayodhya and several other stories that you can check out on our website. If you like listening to this podcast, then subscribe to our playlist on Apple Google Podcast, GeoSavan, Spotify and the several other popular podcast streaming platforms that we're live on right now. For other podcasts, log on to the Quinn website and check out our podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email at podcasts at the rate quinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.